Oh, it is that time again. Gather around, boys and girls, because the Cubs Weekly Podcast, presented by Wintrust, proud partner of the Chicago Cubs, and the only place to get your Cubs debit card, gets yours today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs. And as I said, we are on the air and straight ahead right here on the podcast from Bleed Cubby Blue and Cup of Cubby Blue, Sarah Sanchez. She's going to join us to let us know how things have been since that shutdown went down on March 12th and how she can't wait for the Cubs' triumphant return on July 24th versus Milwaukee at the greatest place on earth. Of course, that's Wrigley Field. That goes without saying. But until then, however, let's get you up to speed on the team and our Amazon delivery drivers of content. We'll first welcome in our digital content manager over at Marquee Sports Network, Cubs reporter Tony Andraki, and from 670 The Score, also a contributor at Marquee Sports Network, a cat who's covered Chicago baseball for over 30 years. I like to call him Bruce Almighty. It's Bruce Levine, ladies and gentlemen. And Bruce, as we know, a week and a half in the books, just roughly a week and a half to go until the real thing gets underway at the friendly confines. So when it comes to stories about this summer camp, which one's jumping off the page to you, man? Uh, just the, the way that they're going to handle the pitching and that how they're stretching out relief pitchers to be quasi-starting pitchers. So from the perspective of their starters are, are, are coming along and building up their inning load, but uh, they aren't taking any chances with games early because of the magnitude of how important these games are in this short season. Therefore, they're building three, four different relief pitchers up to at least three innings each and uh, not exactly household names and guys like Ray, guys like Underwood, uh, people like that, Cotton, who will be, uh, major contributors at the very least in the early going of the season uh, because of the fact that uh, they will be the middle reliever starters, the way I like to call it, to begin the season. So you're going to see a contrasting way of the Cubs and other teams handling their pitching staffs as we get started on the 24th. Okay, Bruce. Now, as we know, it's always a, a horse race to be that guy who gets that opening day start. So I think there's a few different options out there. There's Kyle Hendricks, there's you Darvish, there's John Lester. Is there any one front runner right now as we look forward to opening day? I think Ferguson Jenkins comes to mind. Um, <laughs> he could still give us a few innings. Yeah. You no, know, six years in a row, 20 wins for the Cubs. Yeah, he probably could at uh, age uh, 70, whatever. But the, the reality is that, that, um, I think it's you, Darvish. Uh, certainly, John Lester's always a good choice. Kyle Hendricks has earned his spurs as a Cub pitcher and as a starter. But I think it's the, uh, the way that um, Darvish pitched in the second half last year, uh, the way he's shown up uh, this year, uh, pitching well in spring training, and then coming back here and building his innings up right now. So uh, it could be Darvish. I'm not going to bet the ranch on it. Uh, he still has to build some innings up to get to about uh, 80, 90 pitches so that he's ready for that tune-up. And we're only a couple weeks away from that right now. So or less than that. I'm, I'm saying a couple starts away from him going on the mound. It would be, you know, starting this week and then one more, and he'd be uh, in there opening day if he indeed is the opening day pitcher. Yeah, it, like you said, Bruce, uh, Darvish certainly looks to be a, a front horse or um... – uh, front runner rather for the opening day start. I think Kyle Hendricks is also a great option, but yeah, I mean, Darvish, the way he finished last year, the confidence that he showed the level of comfort. I think that he really, we saw a different you Darvish in the second half last season than we had seen in the first 
year and a half that he was in Chicago. But the other news Monday out of camp, uh, Bruce, was the fact that Vic Caratini will certainly be catching you, Darvish, all this season. Wilson Contreras confirmed it himself, said he loves the decision and it's all about winning. And it makes sense because Wilson will be catching John Lester every time he starts. But Bruce, I was just wondering your thoughts on that. Uh, is that the right move to have Caratini catching Darvish every start? Well, you know, because of the truncated season, 60 games, there's going to be 60 games in 63 days. So there's no catcher on earth that's going to catch all those games. Therefore, the uh, relationship that Caratini built up with Darvish last year uh, kind of transcends and kind of carries over to this year. And it just makes sense. I mean, we're not going to see Contreras catch every day. That That's that's a suicidal pace, you know, 63 game, uh, 60 games in 63 days. So that position is too tough as it is. I think you're going to see Contreras like he talked to us today, Tony, in a, in a conversation uh, with the Chicago media. The fact that uh, he's going to also be optioned as a, a designated hitter against certain left-handers so they can, they can keep his bat in the lineup and have Caratini catch at the same time. So, from all of that, you know, Caratini being a switch hitter, he can go up against any type of pitching. Uh, but, you know, with Caratini, with uh, with Contreras, you have the luxury of not catching him, having that big power bat and uh, getting him a rest, uh, except for the four or five swings that he takes that day. Yeah, despite the reduction in games from 162 down to 63, the tools of ignorance, they're called that for a reason. And Victor Caratini, as we said, he'll be the personal valet Henry Blanco style for you, Darvish, like Hank, Hank White was for Greg Maddox for so many years. Now, now, Bruce, you talked about the DH duties. When it comes to Caratini as well as Contreras, it's going to give both the guys extra plate appearances, especially Caratini when he gets out there not just once a week to catch you, Darvish. Now he's possibly getting thrown out there two, maybe three times a week in that DH role. It's going to be big for his plate appearances and his bat. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, uh, it's going to be a touch and feel thing for manager David. Uh, Ross to be able to decide how to use that DH role and uh, how to benefit the entire squad from that, giving it uh, as a rest day for these guys' bodies, but uh, ability to still swing the bat. Now, that said, we know not everybody adjusts very well to just taking four swings of the bat. Some guys are not comfortable with it. Contreras talked today about the fact that uh, he likes to be involved in the game and he's He's, you know, that being a designated hitter, he understands the benefits of being off his feet for one day. But uh, just his emotion, his way of playing baseball is so uh, athletic that uh, he, he might have some difficulty just taking those four swings of the bat. That's something that has to be monitored by Ross and the coaching staff as to the comfortability and therefore uh, what type of outcome you get from people just switching them around as a DA. Yeah, and Bruce, uh, sticking with the pitching staff, too, um, the fact that you asked Tommy Hadovy this question today, and I thought it was really interesting where the fifth spot in the rotation is lining up. And obviously, Quintana was would have been in the rotation in spring training 1.0, and it looked like Tyler Chatwood had the inside track to that number five spot. Now, since then, obviously, Quintana is out. He, he will resume throwing this week assuming all is good there from his thumb injury and the stitches are able to come out good. But then, yeah, the, the fourth, fifth spot, it looked like it might be Tyler Chatwood, maybe Alec Mills too, 
depending on how things line up over the next week and a half. But Bruce, I was just curious your thoughts on how the rotation is shaping up and then how that might impact the bullpen with all of these guys, the, the Casey Sadlers, the Dwayne Underwoods, the Colin Rays stretching out to be two, three innings. Yeah, you know, they might have already determined. And again, you know, this is just me talking because when I asked uh, David Ross the other day to try to confirm it, he said, we'll ask your opinion when we want it. He was pretty blunt about the fact that I was alluding to the fact that Mills might be more helpful to the team as a long man a couple of times a week because he showed that uh, he was so valuable doing that last year as well as spot starting. And he, he seems to have kind of a rubber arm that is that they, they have some confidence in. So might he be better off throwing three or four innings a couple times a week uh, rather than just taking that fifth spot? Uh, that's something they have to determine. And then will we get a fifth starter who is piggyback, like you said? Uh, would, would it be, you know, Winkler? Would it be uh, Underwood? Would it be Ray that were all ticketed to start a certain game and each go three innings? Um, so that would be something that we would be looking at down the road here. They they certainly were impressed with the way Cotton and uh, Underwood pitched the last couple of days, but these are certainly unproven guys at the major league level. Um, and uh, they're hoping that they can make this next step up. Uh, it's not a guarantee, but uh, from the work they're doing down here, and if I can use the word desperation of knowing that they have to have multiple arms ready for this uh, season right now, uh, they will, they're willing to give these guys opportunities. Well, Bruce, who knows? You may be right. Even a broken clock is right two times a day. So we will see. And let's stick with that rotation because we're going to look a, a little bit past that fifth spot in the rotation. We're going to look a little bit up towards that first, second, third spot because John Lester, he's entering season number 15 in the bigs this year. And he went out there in that Sunday inter-squad scrimmage and absolutely dealt. Under 30 pitches, 2.1 innings of work, and he was striking out guys at an unbelievable clip. How good does he look right now? And you have to also take into consideration that it's going to be season 15 for a cancer survivor, Bruce. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, there is, as you mentioned, Cole, you know, he's coming back and, you know, with people that have had uh, illnesses or uh, considered to have, uh, you know, uh, compromised immune systems, you know, this is a little bit more of a risk, even though they're world-class uh, baseball athletes. So, um, just that determination alone from John that he's going to come back and pitch is, is interesting. But nonetheless, uh, he still has some innings to build up. So I don't expect him to be in the top two or three. He might be he might be four or five to start the season just to get to the, the proper amount of innings where or pitches where you want to get up to 80 pitches or 90 pitches before you go out there and start. But they do have the luxury of saying, you know what, we'll start Lester in the third start. And if he throws 60 pitches and we get four innings, beautiful. Uh, we have these other guys built up to three innings each. And that's how we're looking at the first two weeks of the season. Now, keep in mind, and this is important to note, that for the first two weeks, you're going to have 30 guys and unlimited amount of pitchers in that. There's no limitations. This year, they were going to limit the amount of pitchers to uh, 14, and that was going to be it. Uh, this year, um, this truncated season, there's no limitations. So to those first two weeks, 
you can do a lot of experimenting with more pitchers and have the luxury of having uh, you know more depth to be able to get through these first two weeks and then 28 uh, the, the next two weeks to get through that first month and build those innings up for your consistent starting pitchers. Maybe by the last month of the season, they're all built up to 100 pitches, uh, constantly doing that every five days. Now, uh, Bruce, I don't know if you had a chance to read Tony's latest article over on MarqueeSportsNetwork.com, but uh, he talks about John Lester and his Sunday outing. But he also touched on the fact that John Lester made mention of his ability to stay ready during the shutdown. He, he wasn't out there throwing long toss every single step of the way, but he remained stretched out. Is this just a case of a, a veteran player training smarter, not harder? I think you make a great point, Cole. Uh, the, the, that's exactly what it is. You know, he's, as he said, he has to save his bullets at age 36. So when he did not know when the season was going to start, he wasn't going out there and throwing 60, 70 pitches, you know, in a bullpen, you know, he was, he was pitching, getting his arm loose, doing a, you know, rubber band stretching, uh, weight work to keep his strength, but not, you know, blowing it all out uh, because of the fact that he wasn't sure when it was going to happen. As time went on and we found out when this uh, spring, spring training 2.0 was going to begin here this summer, uh, he started to gradually build. And that's exactly where he's at right now. So he's not he's not in opening day form right now. But as we move forward 10 days or two weeks from now, depending on where they slot him, they're comfortable in letting him pitch as many pitches that he's built up to and be able to still fortify the rest of the game with other pitchers that they have on the team. Yeah, Bruce. And uh, like Hadavi was saying on Monday, the if Lester throws is built up to 65, 75 pitches, that could be five or six innings in the regular season. It, it just kind of depends on how efficient he is. He was very efficient in that Sunday outing, but so was every Cubs pitcher. They racked up 26 strikeouts in a six-and-a-half-inning scrimmage, which was honestly, to me, a little bit surprising because I think the offense was one of a big takeaway for me in the first couple intra-squad scrimmages. I know you can't really take the results uh, – at face value, but I was surprised with how some of these guys were swinging the bats, the way the timing was. But Bruce, um, you mentioned earlier that David Ross was saying, you know, when we'll ask, when did they want your opinion? They'll ask for it. Well, we want your opinion here. So if you were managing the Cubs, how would you rotate this DH spot and play with this lineup all year? Well, I would I would definitely start with Schwarber against the most right-handers, but I'd also want to respect him and the hard work that he's put in knowing that uh, his arm is, is as good as any left fielders right now. And his release has been so much quicker over the last two years, the way he's worked hard at that. He's not never going to be a great gap guy as far as covering uh, deep gaps or going to the line, but he's made himself into a, uh, into a generally decent outfielder and the hard work has prevailed. So you don't want to punish him and say, hey, you know, you're not the baseball athlete we want out there. However, uh, keeping that big bat in, and, and Tony, you've seen it as you've watched uh, these practices and these uh, inter-squad games. He seems to be ahead of a lot of the other hitters right now. He's just uh, easily hitting ball to all fields out of the ballpark and hitting it hard. So you want to get the optimum amount from him. But again, you know, with Rizzo coming back and his history of back problems, um, you know, that's a spot where he might end up being 
uh, on numerous uh, days just to uh, take the load off of him and still keep his bat in the lineup. So it's going to be a rest position, I believe, uh, as well as an effective extra bat that David Ross will have the luxury of, as all National League managers will this year with that extra bat in the lineup. But it, it's going to be an experimental thing, I think. You know, I, I don't I don't know if it's going to be someone every day. I think the, the nature of the ball club, the injuries and the uh, productivity that we see over the first week or 10 days will determine how Ross uses it. It's going to be fascinating to watch uh, the National League use this rule and I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I, I believe the, the Cubs benefit from the DH more than just about any team in baseball with the firepower they can produce from the nine guys they can put out there every day. Yeah, even baseball purists like ourselves, they're very interested in seeing the DH in the National League this season. And, you know, outside of the DH and the pitchers, that's pretty much all we've talked about is the staff and who's going to fill up that designated hitter slot. But Bruce, what about some of the other sticks in the lineup? How about some of the superstars, the, the Javis, the Chris Bryants, the Anthony Rizzos? How have they been swinging the sticks so far during this installment of summer camp? Well, as uh, Tony and I have been watching, Rizzo has only been taking, uh, you know, um, swings just uh, for the first time, I believe, yesterday and the day before, uh, having missed like three days because of back issues. Now, that's not always very alarming with Rizzo because there's always a couple times a year where – his lower back starts to give out. That That's just the, the nature of what he's had throughout his career. It's it's usually not alarming to the point where he's going to miss a long period of time. It just happens to him uh, now and then. But uh, nonetheless, uh, Bryant has been hitting the ball extremely hard, uh, looking comfortable out there. Um, Contreras has looked very good out there. Caratini drills the ball to all fields. So, again, it's uh, against your own pitchers and – their practice games, they, they lack the energy you'll see in a regular game. And more importantly, keep this in mind also, they haven't used regular umpires yet. So Tony alluded to the 26 strikeouts yesterday. That was with, with a, a catcher calling balls and strikes. And there was more. Tony, you can attest to this. Yes. There were more than a couple times where the hitters were not happy with Wilson Contreras' strike zone. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, there were. You're right. I think there was two or three times in one inning where uh, the guys didn't even know they struck out because they didn't realize that it was strike three. So definitely uh, getting the umpires in. Ross mentioned getting Chicago and Tony Randazzo and his crew in sometime this week. So that'll be good for sure uh, to to get that feedback as the word Ross uses a lot for all of those guys, so they don't have to get mad at their teammates squatting behind the plate. Um, but Bruce, I was curious too, because I know you've been obviously spending a lot of time at the White Sox camp as well. And the Cubs are going to be playing the White Sox a ton this year. 10% of the schedule will be against the Southsiders. Just wondering your thoughts on at White Sox camp versus Cubs camp and how you see these two teams maybe matching up in a shortened season. Well, you know, the White Sox, it's going to depend. On, I think, you know, the, the top three pitchers for the Chicago Cubs are have a, a little bit more credibility right now. With, with, the, with the White Sox, adding Keuchel is huge because you're bringing in a former Cy Young Award winner and a veteran guy that's added a lot through spring training and uh, now in the summer camp as far as bringing his expertise and his knowledge to not only uh, the mound when he pitches, but also to the other young pitchers. So that they've, uh, they've tightened it up 
that they have a one-two punch of uh, Giolito and Keuchel. And then uh, Ronaldo Lopez and uh, Dylan Cease are really good arms that uh, are still trying to establish themselves. Lopez much more so than uh, Cease because he's in his third full year starting games. Cease is starting his first season um, of uh, starting with the Major League team. But both of them um, have terrific arms and terrific stuff. Uh, just the, the mental part of the game and uh, being able to make the adjustments on the mound uh, in a big league game, that, those are the things that some of these guys are working on. Uh, the offense is going to be just as imp- uh, just as potent as the Cubs offense. Um, Cub fans will see uh, uh, Luis Robert, who might be a, the next big superstar in the game of baseball. He can run, he can throw, he can hit, he can hit with power. Um, the guy has phenomenal tools as to whether he'll adjust to major league pitching and uh, not go fishing on a breaking ball. That'll be the deciding factor. But you know, adding uh, you know, adding you know, guys like Encarnacion and Grandal, uh, that's a, that's a real baseball team now. They have to establish themselves with the starting pitching. Their bullpen is uh, excellent. And it's been fortified by getting Steve Ciszek, uh, the former Cub, to go along uh, with uh, some of those very fine pitchers. Uh, Aaron Bummer might be one of the best left-handed relief pitchers in baseball. So they will be exciting games. And uh, I, for one, am looking forward to the uh, World Series with the Chicago White Sox and the Chicago Cubs in 2020. Uh, I like the way you think there, Bruce. How about that? And uh, Luis Robert, we saw him just the other day in that White Sox inner squad, hit one of those boys to men home runs. He was down on bended knee. And we also know we're going to see Cubs and Sox six games this season. So that'll be a battle. Then it'll be Wilson Contreras versus Joe West at the umpire position. So maybe we don't really need those major league umpires back just quite yet. But when it comes to everyone rounding things out and being in midseason form, Bruce, are you there yet? Are, Are you ready to roll? I'm always there. I'm 12 months out of the year. You know, Tony and I are ready to, to, to be there and covering real games because uh, this has been, uh, you know, it's been rough on uh, fans. It's been rough on players. But from the reporters aspect, uh, this is going to be quite a unique year because uh, when when we have the opportunity to go up to lockers and uh you know, talk to people one-on-one and get our own information. That's out the window this year. You can ask for one-on-ones, but the media relations department is so inundated with requests that it's going to be rare that you get these one-on-ones where you can establish your own rapport with these players. They trust you. They give you the unique information. That's going to be very difficult to get this year because we don't have the luxury of dealing with the players other than on these Zoom calls. So it's going to take uh, an awful lot of hard work. But I know here on Marquee, Tony and I and all the other people that will be covering games are going to work our butts off to get the top information for everybody. All right, good. I thought that was a passive-aggressive way of you saying that you and Tony are ready, but I I am not ready as the season is rapidly (laughs) approaching on July 24th. Ladies and gentlemen, Bruce Levine, he lives by the credo, you don't have to get ready when you stay ready. Bruce, pleasure as always. We'll see you next time right here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast. And until then, we're going to take a quick break, but we're going to be right back with more right here. You're listening to the Cubs Weekly Podcast. The boys in blue are headed back to camp. Cubs 360 Summer Camp. 
Catch daily updates and interviews from Wrigley Field as the team prepares for the new season. I'm excited, man. It's like uh, you turn into a 12-year-old again, walking out on the field. The ivy's full. The field looks amazing. Setting up the park based on the protocols and based on an understanding of, in our mind how this is going to operate. Cubs 360 Summer Camp, each weeknight at 7.30 on Marquee Sports Network. All right, as promised, joining Tony Andracki and myself here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust. Look who it is, Cubs fans. It's Sarah Sanchez from Cup of Cubby Blue. She's also a contributor over at Bleed Cubby Blue. And Sarah, long time, no talk. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. And I appreciate you coming on our podcast when you started out at Marquee. It was great for our listeners to get a chance to know you, Cole. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. And uh, we're glad to have you here. The pleasure is all ours. And we know that back on March 12th, everything shut down. But the good news is, is that everyone reconvened at Wrigley Field on July 1st. So for you, Sarah, how have things been since everything's got rolling once again, July 1st? You know, it's been really interesting. I live in the neighborhood, so I've been keeping an eye on things. I've actually been documenting kind of day by day what it's been like to live in a neighborhood built around baseball during a pandemic over at Bleed Cubby Blue, and it's been noticeable to see the energy around the park as the players come back, as there's action at the park. You know, one of the most interesting days that has happened in the pandemic so far was actually when the organists were practicing, and you could just sort of hear the strains of that baseball sound at Wrigley Field for the first time all season, and that's sort of what it's felt like since July 1st. You've seen players coming in and out. You've got the ball hawks at Ball Hawk Corner. Yes, people are wearing masks, which is great. I'm so glad that everybody is taking precautions, but we're having some baseball in a pandemic, and it's great. Sarah, with baseball being back then, like you mentioned, uh, what are you looking forward to most? Is it about the neighborhood? Is it, is it about the Cubs or just having the game back? I'm a huge baseball fan. I want baseball more than just about anything, but I want it to be safe. And so the thing that I've been really keeping a close eye on are the testing procedures. I think the Cubs have done an outstanding job. Today was a really good example of that. Actually, you know, they had some testing delays come back, one of which was impacting David Ross. And they were super transparent about it. They just sent a notification out to the media. They said, look, we've got these people who are not going to be at the practice today, but everybody else is there. I think more teams need to do this. As I look around the league, the thing that I'm seeing is that a lot of teams aren't being as transparent as the Cubs. And I think that's going to create problems in 10 days when these teams start playing each other and these bubbles start colliding a little bit, right? Because you're only as good as the worst bubble. Yeah, and like you said, in 10 days, July 23rd is when the Major League season gets underway. July 24th is when the Cubs open up their campaign, of course, at 1060 West Addison against the Milwaukee Brewers. And Sarah, you said as you've been milling about the Wrigleyville neighborhood, you've noticed one thing in particular, the fact that fans have been wearing masks. So how positive of a sign is that knowing that Cubs fans, not only are they smart fans, but they're also informed when it comes to public health? I think it's the whole ballgame. I think that if people want there to be baseball, they've got to be part of the solution for this pandemic problem, right? Like we're living through an unprecedented event and the players and fans that are each doing their part, wearing a mask, social distancing, making sure that they're taking care of themselves and each other, that is how we have baseball. You know, the Cubs have been really fortunate that a lot of their players have been testing negative. They've had one of the lowest test rates in the league. I don't think they've had a player test positive yet. Um, but that 
can break really fast if some player from another team is all of a sudden not be taking precautions or if a staff member isn't taking precautions. So I think what the Cubs have done is outstanding. I think that the fans really are doing their part to be part of the solution. And I just want to see every other fan base and every other team do a similar amount of work to make sure that there's some baseball in 2020. Yeah, whenever there is baseball, uh, you know, we're still hoping, obviously, 23rd, 24th. And when it comes back, it's going to be a lot different. It's going to be have the DH in the National League, the 30-man rosters, so many games for the Cubs against the NL Central, uh, fans either limited or no fans in the ballpark. What do you make, Sarah, of this new age of baseball and what it might look like in 2020 here? So a couple of things. One, I think the Wrigleyville neighborhood is going to be really interesting. You have the rooftops there, which is a really unique environment to watch a game. And the Cubs are going to be able to open those rooftops at 25%. I actually saw Tom Ricketts walking around, checking out the rooftops this afternoon when I went to go get a cup of coffee. And you can tell that they're getting prepared to welcome fans back in a safe way to a neighborhood that is really built around baseball. It's one of the things that makes Wrigley Field and Wrigleyville unique. You have this gem of a ballpark that is wedged right in the middle of a neighborhood in the city of Chicago. Um, The other thing that I'm really looking forward to are the ways that fans and players are going to keep having fun and celebrating this outstanding sport, even when they can't high five or hug or cheer for the Cubs from the bleachers. So really loved Anthony Rizzo kind of hanging out in the bleachers as a bleacher bum by himself last week when he wasn't playing. I loved Wilson Contreras and Chris Bryant doing like a virtual hug when Wilson Contreras had a home run, came into the dugout kind of virtual celebrating, no actual high fives, but like doing the pantomime bit. I thought that was really fun. And this Cubs team has done stuff like that consistently, right? You've got Ian Happ and his waffle maker. You've got all of the different things that the bullpen did with dancing around and celebrating things. So I think it's going to be different, but it's going to be fun. And it's going to be a great break for fans who have gone through a lot these last few months. Absolutely, Sarah. And speaking of fun, I get a, a surefire kick following your Twitter account, which, oh, by the way, is at BCB underscore Sarah, for those who are not following you at this present date and time. But you said you've been documenting everything that's been going on around Wrigley Field. And when I, when I think of great American documentarians, I think Ken Burns, I think Spike Lee, and I think Sarah Sanchez. But when it comes to your document, you documenting everything that's been going on so far, how have you become a Cubs fan over the years? And how has that fandom grown? It's pretty funny that you mentioned the Ken Burns thing, because when I started that diary, that was in the back of my head, like Ken Burns, but sassier. Um, yeah, and your haircut is much better than Ken Burns, oh, by the way. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) says the guy with no hair sorry (laughs) i have pandemic hair right now i I actually need a haircut kind of desperately it's gotten quite long um i grew up i grew up in utah i grew up in rural utah in a little coal mining town that has less than ten thousand people in it my dad was a huge baseball fan so it was almost always on and one day in 1984 i don't remember much about 1984 but i remember we had the saturday game of the week on and i saw ryan sandberg just absolutely crush a couple of baseballs against the Cardinals. I was hooked. I had no idea what I was in for for the next decades of Cubs fandom, but it was totally worth it. I would not give it back for the world. Those afternoons with Harry Carey running home from school to see what the Cubs did. And it all came together now that I live a few blocks from Wrigley Field. I get to watch this team all the time and write about it for BCB, which is great. So, Sarah, you saw the Ryan Sandberg game, a uh, very famous game from anybody in, in Cubs fandom. 
So what what drew you then to Chicago? You said from from Utah to here. Was it the Cubs in specific, or was that just kind of a, a good uh, byproduct of, of living here in Chicago? No, it's a total accident. Uh, I moved here for work. So my day job, I'm a teacher who taught social studies and debate for seven years. I currently work in the nonprofit sector, but I got recruited to come teach one of the best debate classes in the country out here on the north side of Chicago. I just kind of wound up here in the city. And it was funny because I've had my name on the Cubs season ticket holder list since 2007, long before I lived here. Like I didn't move to Chicago until 2014, just in case I could ever <laughs> get off and happen to live close enough to Chicago that I could make it worthwhile. Well, Sarah, one of those topics that is not debatable is that the Cubs are the best franchise in the history of professional sports in America. And it's always a pleasure having you on the podcast. And that's going to do it here on this installment of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Trust. And don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcasts today. So for Tony, Bruce, Sarah, and myself, we'll see you next time. Have a good one, everybody.